When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And welcome to the EDH RecCast. My name is Joey Schultz, and I'm joined as always by my fantastic co-hosts. First up, he built a General Ferris Rockerick deck, and he named it General Ferris Bueller's Day Off. It's Matt Morgan. So a friend of mine is a dentist, and his he, his wife that he married, um, she does manicures all the time. And when they got into arguments, you might say they fought tooth and nail. <laughs> you, you know, that um that's a good magic card, too, actually. They didn't ever entwine it. No. Nice try. Good to know. Good to know. Up next, he built a general Ferris Rockyric deck, only he called it uh, Ferris Rockyric Son of Yogmoth. That's Dana Roach. Um, So 2020 added more new cards to Magic than the first three years combined. And in 2021, we will surpass the total from last year by the time Forgotten Realms comes out. So if, if you do the math on that, by the time we get to 2025, we're just never going to be able to turn off the camera. We're just going to have to be recording all day, every day to get enough of these previews covered. Every single day. Matt, do you think you're up for that task? I am not up for that task. I, I will retire. <laughs> yeah, I'm, not sure. I'm not sure I am. Either. I will retire if I have to like put on glasses to let everybody live stream my life. <laughs> All right. Well, um, I don't know whether to be really excited about new magic cards or if I'm in just sort of dreading everything, but let's actually finish our introductions before we get to that stage of the fear process. Anyway, this is the EDH RecCast. EDH Rec is the best deck building resource on the web for the commander format, compiling data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new commander decks. And here on the podcast, what we'd like to do is give all that data a little more context. Hey, Matt, what is it that we're discussing in this week's episode? So we spend a lot of time talking about cards that people are playing and popular cards, all of those types of things. But today we're going to talk about types of cards that we do not play, at least in our personal decks. 
Yeah, just kind of going through some a couple of categories and then also some personal examples of cards that we're not running in our decks and why that might be to maybe help folks out if they're listening to see about cards that they're not playing too and what the feelings are behind do I or do I not play certain cards in Commander should be a whole bunch of fun. Real quick, before we get to our main topic, let's pause and give a huge thank you to the folks at the Command Zone. They handle all of the post-production work on our podcast, making it look as awesome as it does. And we want to thank our sponsors for the show as well. The Idiot Trekcast is sponsored by Card Kingdom and TCG Player, uh, two of our favorite sources for buying cardboard on the internet. Just go to EDH Rec and click on the card in question, choose the vendor link down below, and doing that supports both the site and the show. And if you'd prefer to support the show directly, you can do so over at patreon.com slash EDHRecast. We have patron tiers of all levels, and we have patron-exclusive content coming out every month, including our awesome patron-exclusive altar sleeves that you can get. Um, So make sure you head over to patreon.com slash EDHRecast if you want to support the show, and we definitely appreciate it. And in fact, we appreciate specific patrons every single week. So this week, we do want to give a very special shout out to Joe Kleckner. Thank you so much, Joe. We definitely appreciate your support and uh, thank you for all of it. Oh, uh, Matt, I thought you were giving a shout out to me when you said Joe. I was like really excited there for a second. No, Joe Kleckner, not young Joseph. Um, Very different people. (laughs) Thank you so much, Joe. We really appreciate it. All right, fellas, let's get to our topic. Now we are talking about cards that we don't play. We're going to tackle this in two different sections. And the first one we're going to discuss are the cards sort of in general categories that we're not really playing in our EDH decks. And we'll talk a little bit later about some specific examples in our own personal decks a little bit later on. Before we get started, though, there's one thing I definitely want to shout out here that we've just like got to establish. The title of this episode is not cards you shouldn't play. And it's also not cards that we don't think should see play. This is just These are cards that we are not personally playing. We're not trying to moralize about these cards are good and these cards are bad. We're just going to cite some examples that in our experience, these happen to be cards that we are, we're avoiding sometimes on purpose or sometimes accidentally. Yeah. Yeah, We we talk a lot about optimization kind of things. You know, this card is technically slightly better than that card and you should run it for this reason. Um, But we ourselves don't necessarily follow that, that strictly. There are some cards that, very clearly one can make the argument are really, really powerful in the decks we play and we still just don't run them. So we kind of want to talk about some of those reasons why there are cards that technically speaking are fantastic and we're just not playing them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of times we'll say, well, the data is showing this much and we think that's right. Um, this show is going to be a lot of feelings for us. It's just <laughs> cards that we, uh, we we feel that don't add to our decks or anything like that. But yeah, this is definitely not a, a case of us saying you shouldn't play these cards. These are just mm-hmm. personal choices that we've made um, just kind of along the lines of all the, the different games and what we want from the format. Um, so if any of these cards that we talk about are, are you know types of things that you want to experience in your games, Definitely, by all means, keep playing them. Do your thing. Um, this is just our experiences and our preferences. Right. And and they're not also the types of things that we're like, oh, and you shouldn't play them against us either. Like, no, no, no. They're no. just like, here's some cards that we didn't put into our decks. And let's talk about that because there might be some interesting reasons for it. So, Dana, take us to our first category. What is a type of card that generally you found yourself either intentionally or accidentally kind of avoiding whenever you're brewing or tuning up a deck? Uh, the first one will be tutors. I think definitely the last few years is something I've begun. Not just not only have I stopped adding the new good tutors we get to decks, I've started actually taking tutors I already have in decks out um, whenever something new comes out. 
Um, you know, and when we're talking here specifically, generally speaking, a a demonic tutor kind of spell that lets you go get something. You know, I, I still run a far seek to get a land or, or fetch lands, that kind of thing. <laughs> right. But but kind of the, the tutor that lets you go get any card or at least any in a class of a card that you can use as a weapon offensively in the game. I very much moved away from running those in my decks. Yeah, I, I think I maybe play tutors in two different decks, um, and they're specific types of tutors too. I just, I really enjoy the variance that comes along with singleton formats, and mm-hmm. tutors just kind of take away from that. Uh, I like not knowing what's going to happen um, and having different play experiences every single time. So yeah, I, I'm in that same boat, Dana. I don't play very many tutors, and if I do, it's it's for specific things. Like in my Miri deck, um, I play Eladomri's Call, so I'm getting a toolbox type of creature um, to address the situation i'm I'm not getting a win condition more, more often than not right you rarely tutor for i don't even know if you have a crater hoof behemoth in that deck you might but like you're the type of person to go and find a reclamation sage when you need to handle whatever great henge stuff i'm up to yeah or, or like i'll get, go out and get like a uh, pathbreaker ibex or, or something just <laughs> silly to go and, and do that but like yeah grabbing the the win conditions every single time the same card like that's just not the type of gameplay i like and i i know all three of us are generally in agreement for the most of our games um we just the tutors and and a lot of folks in the community especially content creators have kind of gotten to that place um sheldon menery is a big fan of taking tutors out of your games and he'll tell you you know on twitter on his articles that they kind of take away from the spirit of the format not that you shouldn't play them at all but um the variance is kind of that spice of life that he goes for, and that's why he um, is a big advocate for taking tutors out. Yeah, and I'm not even sure if he says that it's taking away from the spirit for anything other than, again, it's like a personal thing on his end, just like yeah. you're saying this yeah. is a personal thing on our end too. Um, and, and it's kind of funny that you mentioned Toolbox there because I do have tutors still in my Marin deck. I've got a whole bunch of fun stuff that's like in Tomb I can put right into the graveyard or the new unmarked grave. I can just put stuff right into the graveyard and I really enjoy that. And there is a toolboxy sort of aspect to that deck. So I've maintained a lot of the tutors in that one. And like, that's kind of nice to, to still have. I, I'm pretty sure that of the three of us, I run more tutors than you guys, but even then, a lot of them are largely consolidated to that specific graveyard style of strategy. And I've also hit that point over time where like, Dana, you mentioned taking them out of your decks. I have a Yannette deck that is really fun to use Vampiric Tutor to just put something right on top of the library so that Yannette can cheat it just into play by if I get some like big odd CMC spell off the top. That sounds really cool. And I'm also personally kind of drifting to that space where I'm like, eh, but you know, I, I might want more of a challenge here. The variants might be a little bit more fun instead of always tutoring for a specific thing. So I might end up taking them out of them too. So it's funny to see that we've all kind of converged upon that. <laughs> One thing too is it, th- there's an element of laziness to it on my part. Like when I, <laughs> w- when some new cards come out and I'm like, I need to make one final cut for this deck and I can't like this thing's super fun and this card's super fun and this card's super fun. I'm like, well, I mean, that tutor isn't that fun. It's a pretty, I mean, it's a good, it's a great card. Don't get me wrong, but like, it's not going to generate an interesting play. And that's, that's a reason I've cut them too. I remember when, when, when Theros Beyond Death came out and there was half a dozen cards from my Enchantress deck all of which I wanted to run because I thought they were going to, you know, be fun and do cool things in the game. It became very easy to pull out Idyllic Tutor and and um, Enlightened Tutor out of that deck because I'm like, they're never going to create something interesting other than they're obviously super powerful. So I pulled those two out because it was easy. They were easy cuts. Well, and one thing too that I noticed 
over the course of just the year that we just had and everybody kind of shifting towards webcam games is it's not particularly fun like one person tutoring something up over webcam like if you're in person i feel like it's a lot easier to kind of converse Mm. and still have that experience but like over webcam somebody tutoring a lot over the course of a game it slows everything down quite a bit and that's another reason i just i personally have taken a lot of tutors out is uh I, i would rather play five games than you know, play two long, long ones. It's so, well, I mean, for some folks there, Matt, like a tutor might shorten up a game because they're going to go and find that win condition. So there's- That is true too. That is true. There's something to be said but, there. But there's a lot of action going on and I, I'd rather not spend a bunch of time shuffling yeah. and, and going through. Yeah, shuffle is not They're big fun decks. They're, it's a hundred cards, man. <laughs> yeah, shuffling is a pretty unfun loading screen for sure. Um, but yeah, it's just uh, kind of funny there, Dana. I like that philosophy of, you know what? Better- of better cutting a tutor than it is cutting a land to make room for the new fun stuff in your deck, right? For sure. Yeah. All right, fellas, let's move to another type of category. And I'm actually kind of interested to hear from both of you um, if this is something that you avoid on purpose or if you avoid on accident. And those are extra turn spells. Over the course of us playing on our stream at, you know, twitch.tv slash EDHRetCast, Matt, I'm not nearly as good as uh, plugging that. As it, was, it wasn't smooth like butter. No. Um, you'll, you, you'll get better. You're so much better Keep at those practice. plugs. But uh, something that I've noticed that we tend to just not really have while we're playing on there are the extra turn spells, like Time Warp to get an extra turn or time stretch to get two extra turns. Those are just things that I've never really seen us actually play while we are all gaming together on the stream. So I'm just kind of curious if that is a thing that, uh, Matt, you've done on purpose or if it's completely by accident. This might be a loaded question, though, because you just sort of rarely play blue, so you don't have many opportunities to play the extra <laughs> that, turns, that, actually. <laughs> that is true. Um, I, I So I actually had a, a Narset extra turns uh, deck for a little while, and like it was fun. That was kind of that high-powered deck that we would play every now and then. Um, but a lot of times people misplay extra turn spells. And so I've taken them out of my decks to take that temptation away because a lot of times I've seen uh, a time warp was basically just a growth spiral. They played an extra land, uh, they drew an extra card, but they didn't really do a whole lot with it. Um, then there's the extra turn decks, which is a whole nother story altogether. And and I don't like that style of deck for myself uh, just because it turns a lot of times, especially when the deck is working right, it turns into solitaire. And I'd rather just everybody feel like mm. an equal participant um, instead of sitting there watching me play six turns in a row and, until they just kind of concede. So that's why I don't do it personally. Um, if you do it, then fine, but I may just make sure my big request is uh, that you're winning by those extra turn spells, not just, you know, kind of spinning wheels. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I that's basically the same thought process for me. I, I feel like no one wants to watch me play three turns in a row. I generally don't want to watch someone else play multiple turns in a row either. I don't get salty about it, but like I don't find it to be a particularly interesting play. I don't find it to be a particularly entertaining play i guess or 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 a Mm. display of your skill time warp's a fantastic card and and even if you misplay it like matt said it's still a pretty good use of your time um or or use of your resources in a game and if you don't misplay it it's fantastic i i would say if you're playing blue time warp is almost always worth a slot in your deck and it's almost always not interesting if it generates a win, at least to me. I, I've never seen someone play a bunch of extra turns or even one and thought, wow, that was really fascinating. You really showed me um, your, your ability at playing Magic. 
Um, wow. And, and so therefore, I assume the same is true of myself. No one's going to think the same when I do it either. That's not going to be interesting for someone else to watch me do that, and they're not going to be impressed by it either. So I, I don't run them for that reason. I just don't, I don't think it is is something I find very entertaining. So I assume the same is true from other people when I would do it. See, I, I have seen a, a, like probably one of the most impactful things was a well-timed Karn's Temporal Sundering, which is the legendary mm. extra turn spell. Um, just coming down at the right time to actually, you know, as a kind of a win condition type card, like you have an alpha strike, but you need one more turn to, to alpha strike the last person down. That's fine. That, like That's a totally fair and, and I would not blame you for doing that. It's just when you do it um, and play those time warp type of spells um, for little to no additional benefits is is kind of where I think the bad reputation from the community at large kind of comes sure. from. And, and I will say, I, like, I do technically have an extra turn option in my Sphinx Tribal deck because Metamai the Ageless, when he deals combat damage, yeah. lets me generate an extra turn. But I would also say 90% of the time, if not more, that extra turn is when the game ends because it's a deck filled with like giant evasive beaters. Right. And if I've got to the point where I'm dropping Metamai, the game is probably just over the next turn. And specifically there, you've themed that extra turn, like it Metamai in a Sphinx deck. That's just a, a natural, like, sure. that sounds awesome. And I also have a deck that has a Sphinx commander, and again, that's Yannette. And there's a miracle extra turn spell, which is really fun to put onto the top of my deck. Even if I'm not cheating it off of the top of the deck with Yannette's ability, like, I like doing top deck manipulation. So that is one that I feel like, hey, you know what, this is actually kind of cool if I can pull it off. It, it's, there's a theme to it that is more than just a, a general value. Um, that that kind of makes me feel a little bit more like, yeah, this is cool. But in general, it is the kind of thing that I feel like I've accidentally avoided in the rest of my decks. If I'm building a blue deck, I kind of just like, those are never the first choices that I'll add into it. And I don't know if that's a conscious decision on my part or if it's just like I never really evaluate that. Like, it's like a subconscious thing, possibly. It's just like, oh, that's probably not the type of game that I'm going to want to do because if I'm doing my stuff, I, sh I should be able to get all of my stuff done on my turn and I don't want to keep the person to my left waiting any longer. Yeah, just all back to everybody gets to be an equal participant instead of you playing solitaire. And I mean, I, I think that's a fine thing to desire. Very much. All right, let's get to another category here. And this is one that I think will be a, a little bit fun. There's a category of cards that we're also not generally playing in our decks. And the only name that I really have for them is the high salt cards. And in fact, if you go to the salt score page on EDHREC, I'm sure that you'll see several of these there. The stuff like Expropriate, which is also an extra turn spell, for example, or mass land destruction effects like Armageddon, or stacks lockdown pieces that prevent other people from untapping their stuff. These, I'm also pretty confident to say, we're not putting it into any of our decks because we don't want to. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's kind of as simple as that. That's 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 about it. In large part because I don't necessarily want to play against them, so therefore it would be hypocritical of me to have those in my deck as well. You know, generally speaking. Um, mm. And if someone drops a Hellbreacher, am I going to get mad about it? No, I'm not going to get upset. I, that's that's the game you want to play. Then by all means, go ahead and do it. But I, it's not what the one I usually want to play, so therefore I'm not going to subject anyone else to it. Yeah, the, the, anything on the salt list in general, I tend to stick away from. Uh, I, I mean, the salt score was highly, highly scientific when it was compiled, so <laughs> you know you can trust it. But really, like it's it's a bunch of cards that they just lead to unfun experiences, whether it's stripping people's hands away, uh, stripping their lands if you're playing mass land destruction without some way to kind of close the game out, Armageddon effects. Like, I, they're just, 
they're cards that in a lot of people's minds, um, they take away from the game. They don't add things to the game. And uh, I just, I tend not to run any of those cards. Like I'll still play Cyclonic Rift in a few decks um, as a way to make sure I'm, I'm winning the game. It's not a way to draw the game out and, and do some other things like a lot of the other kind of categories within the salt list do. Right. And that's like the eighth most salt inducing card, according to the uh, yeah. the polls that we did. So that's a, a pretty big one. But like, I think also it's ubiquity. It, it has a lot to do with uh, the place that it earned there on the salt score as well. But but yeah, generally, it's just like commander feels like one of those places where like the fun is not a zero sum situation. The victory is not necessarily the only goal. And while there are totally going to be metas out there that will enjoy, you know, trying to get out from underneath a stack slot, for example, those tend to be the types of things that we avoid because it's just not really what we're after. I really want to see what your deck can do, and I don't want to prevent it from doing that. I want to use some removal to stop it from killing me, but I am interested to see what your deck will actualize when it finally gets around to its strategy, you know? Well, and a lot of this is very subjective, too. Like, yeah. I am not going to play a stasis in a deck, even if I have a way to break parity on it, because it's just not the kind of... I don't want to stop people from playing Magic, um, but... I'll run Scavenger Grounds hey. in a deck and Relic of Progenitus or something hey. um, so I can shut, shut off a Graveyard debt or Joey. I mean, that's that's <laughs> what made me think of that. Like, I'll run those kind of tools to shut down someone's Graveyard strategy. Um, I would say the difference probably there is those are kind of one-shot effects for the most part that mm-hmm. will stop you from doing a thing and then you can try to do it again. Whereas things like a stasis lock or something is a lock usually, in which case the person just can't do that their thing for the rest of the game most of the time. Wait, wait, wait. So Dana, you're saying <laughs> that if it's a continuous effect, you won't use it. So you'll take rest in peace out of all of your decks now? I don't know if I have rest in peace. I think I, I might still have it in one deck. But yeah, I, I generally actually don't run the continuous like Leyline of the Void effects or, or rest in peace kind of for that reason. Really? Yeah. This I'm I'm really delighted by this part of the conversation. Matt, you say things now. I'm happy. <laughs> oh, well, I was I was gonna say like I still will play scavenging ooze. Um, no. I still will play those effects for you. But like, and a lot of the cards that are on the salt list, like Hole Breacher, the reason that they they rank so high is because they're oftentimes used in conjunction with. Uh, other cards to make them, you know, really dive down on the synergy. Like Hole Breacher keeps people from drawing extra cards. So you play a wheel effect so they don't get to draw the extra cards um, and you get all the benefit instead. Um, I have exactly one Hole Breacher in exactly one whole deck. Um, and I made sure specifically I'm not playing any wheels in that deck because um, that's just not what I'm going for. Like I don't want I my types of games that I enjoy playing. Um, yeah, like you said, Joey, it's not a zero-sum game. Like, it, my enjoyment isn't taking away from anyone else's. Um, so, yeah, it's just like, if I'm going to play Hole Breacher, I'm not going to play it with those other cards that exploit where the power is. Gotcha, yeah. And this kind of dovetails into another type of category that I don't have a, a very um, explicit category name for, I guess, but there are certain win conditions that I notice we also sometimes will just avoid. The classic example that comes to my mind here is the card Torment of Hailfire, which you can put a bunch of mana into and then it will force your opponents to make a grueling decision after grueling decision to lose a bunch of life or sacrifice permanence or discard cards. And that can be an extremely efficient win condition. And I played it in a deck or two, especially because I love like having a, a big black mana deck where I can cabal coffers for a bunch, a bunch, a bunch of mana and then just get a huge torment of hailfire. And it kind of just personally stopped being a fun way to win. It was just like, oh, you know, like I, I want a little bit more of a dynamic to the way that I win rather than just, oh, this one card did it for me. So eventually I found myself taking that card out of the decks too. Yeah, it's kind of the sound of air slowly leaving a balloon. 
<laughs> um, I feel like when someone plays a Torment sometimes, because when when that card was first spoiled, I was like, oh, this card is insane. And I think I, I, I picked up a couple copies very quickly and had them in my black deck, our black decks. And then after like the third or fourth time I cast, I realized it just never felt like a great win. It felt like mm-hmm. I won the game because I topped back to Torment of Hellfire and it was turn eight versus me winning the game because I maneuvered myself into some position to win. Um, mm-hmm. So in, in, in the case of a lot of these cards, it's because it doesn't make me feel satisfied with the win. I, I, I don't come away from casting a Primal Surge in a deck with, you know, 87 permanents and just putting my whole deck onto the battlefield and then killing everyone. Um, you know, I ran that card in my, my Enchantress deck for a while. And after like the second time I cast it, I was like, this just didn't feel like it was a win that I earned somehow other than I top decked it with enough mana to cast it. So for, for me, a lot of the cards here fall into that category. They aren't, they aren't wins that make me feel like I did something to cause them to happen. Yeah, I, I just tend not to play a lot of just two-card combos in general, Dana. Uh, I don't play Laboratory Maniac or Thassa's Oracle. Um, if I am playing some sort of two-card synergy combo, I make sure like it needs a third or fourth piece to actually win the game. Like I'll play Devoted Druid and Vizier uh, Remedies, but sure, that makes infinite mana, but like it, ne- it still needs a way to actually win the game instead of just sitting there and, and generating the mana. Mm. But I tend not to just play these two cards, win the game type of combos. That's just, that's not very satisfying for me. I would rather uh, do something that people have a better chance of interacting with than, okay, I got this. Well, I already had this, so I win. Um, I I like people having a chance to disrupt me when I try to do types of, of wins like that. Yeah, if you had ever built a Prosh deck, for example, Food Chain is the type of card you would deliberately avoid because that's an infinite combo with the commander right there, and that's not really the experience you're after. Not at all. I I, I think I own one Food Chain. Um, it hasn't been in a deck for five plus years. Right. And I really like something that you uh, sort of hit on there, Dana, as well, um, where it was kind of like saying, you don't want the cards to win for you. You want to like the, to, for it to feel like you earned that victory because of your positioning rather than the cards won the game on your behalf and you'd rather have a bit more agency in it and i think that that's uh, a really fun thing and the piece that i want to like tie into that as well is just that, like there's a novelty to some of the ways that you win if you win in a really original way like i can throw torment to hailfire into any of my black decks but it might take away the originality of how those decks each individually can win a game compared to i can give them a bit more i can infuse more personality into the deck if i don't use some of those quote good stuff cards i guess that would lead to a win in the same way across a lot of different decks well, and it's funny you should say that, Joey, because we have an entire category coming up next, uh, just about oh. kind of general cards that you know aren't too specific to anything, but they're just very good um, and can go and dang near any deck that can play them. <laughs> yeah. So, Dana, tell us all about this one. This was a cool thing that you put into the show notes, and I'm really interested to hear you talk about. This is a category of cards that I feel like you're accidentally not putting into your decks because these are the cards that are just too quote general so the 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 card that i kind of think of here as um the the signpost for cards that are that feel too general is mirage mirror um it's an artifact that you can turn into a copy of almost anything in play um when mirage mirror was spoiled um i remember looking at it thinking oh that card is so good it can go in any deck and be fantastic and i put it in a bunch of decks and then like a month later i was like that card is so good, it can just 
go on any deck at all and be good. <laughs> like I, I went from being excited about that to being kind of bored with it by that. And a, as a result, I don't have it in any of my decks anymore. Um, and that's a wrong choice. Like power wise, <laughs> it's a fantastic card. Like uh, you can make an argument f in Mirage Mirror's defense and almost any deck, but I just don't run it because it could go in any deck. And for whatever reason, it, it just is something that I kind of got bored with for that reason, because it just went everywhere. That is fascinating. It's a card that could go into any deck, so you don't play it in any deck. That is yeah. totally wild. And like Mirage Mirror, I love that thing. It, it is up to a whole bunch of crazy stuff. I never know what I'm going to mm -hmm. get when I play that card. So like, I love playing it, but I can totally see how it seems like one of the easier things to cut whenever you're tuning up or getting some new cards that you want to try out in the deck, where it's just like, you know, this card has a general applicability that is like, I can make some synergies happen, but it isn't always a one on like there isn't always a direct synergy with the rest of the mission of the deck it has a general use to this uh usefulness to it that maybe just gets ousted when you want to try out new synergy pieces as well so like it does kind of stick out maybe amongst the pile when you're tuning up a, a deck when you've put it all in front of you and you're like you know this card is it's got a lot of general applicability but the synergy maybe isn't as obvious and so it's easy to justify removing I mean, if you're Josh Lee Kwai, um, Vidalkan Ori is that type of card. Um, oh, sure, sure. Like, it, it just, like, yes, Josh loves putting that in the cards, but um, every deck could benefit from that um, and just being able to operate at instant speed. So, um, but also at the same time, like, every deck benefits. And, it, the, like, I, I guess to, to, to sum up Dana's thoughts, like, the personality score of a lot of these cards, like, for me, it's Mimic Vat. I want to put, put Mimic Vat into literally every single deck I own. But it's always like that 103rd card that like I cut because I'm like, well, it doesn't really do anything specific to like what I want to do in the deck. It's just generally good and, and probably will help me win games. But I also like want to do this thing and it's not doing that thing. Well, a couple like we've been discussing uh, artifacts here that can go on literally any deck, but it doesn't even have to be something that can go literally anywhere. Um, one that jumps out at me, um, you know, when I first started playing Commander, um, Copy Artifact was a relatively cheap card. It's not cheap now, but it, it was five or six years ago. Um, it's one in a blue for an enchantment that just comes into play as a copy of any artifact. There's no point in a Commander game where that's not worth two mana. Right. You're always going to get great value. If you are playing blue, Copy Artifact is always a good card and always probably worth a slot in the 99. Mystic Remora in blue is always worth a slot near 99 every single time. The same is probably true of Rhystic Study. Um, when I think of black, there is almost no situation where Animate Dead isn't worth the two mana you spend on it. There's almost always going to be a target worth you spending two mana to put it back in, directly back into play. Um, you can put that in any black list you make and be like, yep, that card is worth what I'm paying. It's absolutely um, deserving a spot in the 99. And as a result of that, I just don't have animate that in any of my decks. If I was playing maybe a reanimator strategy, I would. But outside of that, it's one of those things that is so universally good. I just don't run it. <laughs> 
That's that's really fascinating. First of all, I do think that you should put anime dead into all of your decks because <laughs> everyone's deck should be reanimated. It's the best strategy. Um, but yeah, no, uh, Matt, I love the way that you described it as like a personality infusion. Like those cards that are maybe a bit general, a bit broad, um, might eventually make room for cards that are a bit more specific to the actual deck so that you can infuse it with that personality. And like Josh has very successfully done, Vidakuna Ori is definitely a personality infusion into all of his decks, let's be real. <laughs> very much. And Mirage Mirror could also be that type of card for anyone. So like none of these, again, are cards that were saying oh you shouldn't because of this thing like no it's just like yeah i think that's a really interesting phenomenon to observe across our own deck building habits where there are some cards that kind of by accident or on purpose but especially the ones on accident that we've just kind of eventually drifted away from whenever we're tuning or building well those were some some broad categories big picture items uh looking at cards that we don't play uh we have some specific examples that we want to get to though but uh, we need to take a little bit of a break first Yes, yeah, that'll be really fun. We'll talk about personal experiences, our personal decks, some cards that we're not playing in those to bring some some cool examples of actual stuff that we've done. But yeah, Matt, I, I think it sounds like what you want to do right now is uh, is challenge some stats because this is just one of our favorite segments here on the show. There's just so much data on EDHREC, but we don't always agree with it. Sometimes we think that cards see too much play or too little play. So we'd like to challenge those statistics. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Matt, how about you start us off? What are you challenging this week? Well, this week, I, I want to take a note from a deck that I have myself, um, but there's another deck that I think the, the numbers are a little bit wrong for the same card. Um, so the card that I really like is Quandrix Command. Um, that's one of the new cards from Strixhaven. It's it's one green and a blue for an instant that says, choose two, and where you can return target creature or planeswalker to its owner's hand. You can counter, counter target artifact or enchantment spell. You can put two plus one plus one counters on target creature, or you can target have target players shuffle up to three target cards from their graveyard into their library, the old Joseph Schultz special. Um, mm-hmm. So this card is fantastic. I love modal spells, the commands, charms, all that. Um, great way to get a lot of just versatile use out of that. Um, and a deck that I really think that it should be showing up more is Peer and Toothy. So Peer, the Imagine of Rascal, and Toothy, the, imagine, or the Imaginary Friend, uh, this Simic combination is all about plus one, plus one counters going on to Toothy, uh, whatever you want to be doing with it. Um, there are only 29% of Peer and Toothy decks are actually playing Quandrix Command, and I think that number is, is, is pretty low. That's already like a pretty good percentage, but the card is just so good for an instant speed. Um, it turns into a divination if somebody's trying to kill your Toothy. You can counter some spells. You can bounce problem permanence. Um, there's just so much use out of this. I, I love modal spells in general, and then modal spells that tie into what your commander is already wanting to be doing. Um, I just think that's a win-win across the board. Um, only 29% of, of Pier Toothy decks are playing Quandrix Command. I think that's too low. It's just, it's such a versatile answer to a lot of different situations. That is really, really interesting. I'd love to see it if you do ever put that deck together, or maybe I would hate to see it if you do ever put that deck together. Uh, more of a hate thing. Like I, I played it on my <laughs> Ukeem and Kazer deck, and somebody yep. was trying to get 
squirrely with me. So I put two plus one plus encounters on Ukima, which then um, did quite a bit of work. If you watched uh, the games over at twitch.tv slash EDH Retcast, <laughs> you would have seen all the fun action. So you're so smooth at making those those uh, those plugs very, very just well done. works in and out. It's, it, it's as good of a fit me making the plugs as this card is in Pier and Toothy decks. Wow. A plus on that one, Matt. I love it. I'm going to move to my challenge now, and mine is a listener submitted challenge the stats from Roxistance on Twitter. So Roxanne points out here a really cool card that Dana, I'll wonder if you've ever heard of because it is a strange one from Ice Age called Dreams of the Dead. Ever heard of this one? I don't think I have. Sweet. I love it when we can find a card that Dana hasn't heard of. This is a (laughs) weird enchantment. It is three and a blue for an enchantment that says you can pay one and a blue to take target white or black creature from your graveyard and put it directly into play as though it were just summoned. This is some really old text on it, but basically you'll reanimate a white or a black creature for just two mana. The thing is that creature then gains a cumulative upkeep cost of two mana, so you do have to pay more and more mana for that thing to actually stick around. And if the creature ever leaves play, you'll remove it from the game, so you can't repeatedly reanimate the same stuff. But Roxanne really wants to point out that this is a great card to put into an Aminatu deck, because Aminatu can flicker any white or black creature that you get back out of your graveyard, and that will remove it from the game, that will have exile which will satisfy the dreams of the dead clause but then the card will just come right back and it won't have that cumulative upkeep anymore so this is a really cool way in a blink deck in esper colors for this specific deck probably but this is a really cool reanimation effect that you can repeat over and over again in a deck that is built to turn out tons and tons of value over a long game it's a reanimation effect on a blue card so i absolutely love this challenge yeah that's really really good in the right deck i like that one a lot as well um i'm not gonna go with an old card I'm actually going to go with a relatively new card. Who are you and what um, have you done with Dana Rose? <laughs> uh, Spectral Deluge is in about 1,500 decks. It is four blue-blue for a sorcery and return each creature your opponent's control with toughness X or less to its owner's hand where X is the number of islands you control. And you can foretell this. So you can spend two on your turn and then on a later turn you can spend one blue-blue to, to fire it off. Um, one of the problems with Cyclonic Rift existing, I guess, is the fact that any attempts to make a Rift-like card afterwards are going to be way worse than Cyclonic Rift. And so the, the field is kind of crowded because you only want so many of those effects and they're always generally worse than Rift. Um, Deluge is as well. However, it's still pretty good, I think, particularly if you're in mono blue, where you're just accidentally going to have enough islands most of the time to make this into a one-sided bounce. It's a way to poke through damage to kill people um, relatively easily. And also, yes, it costs six mana, but it's the kind of thing you can do on turn two because of that foretell cost when you maybe didn't get that that two-drop mana rock to cast. And then on a later turn when you actually need it to win the game or to blow up someone's board state who is threatening to win, you can just spend three mana to do it and still have plenty of room left on your turn to do other things. Mm. I think if you're playing Mono Blue, that's a really, really good card, and it should see probably more play than the 1500 decks it's already in. It's it's not Rift, but um, it's really, really good. See, Dana, you, you've been looking at my decks. This is in my AC Tyrant of Gary Straits deck, and it does work. Um, any, like, modal, not really modal, but uh, kind of like bounce effects with upside, like Whelming Wave is the same way, Crux mm-hmm. of Fate is the same way with board wipes. Um, if you can find an effect that doesn't 
affect you and your board state, it's always worth considering. I love this card. This is a great challenge. Um, it, it, yeah, and it, I love these types of effects. Also, bonus, since it is a foretell card, you can put other foretell cards into your deck and folks will never know which of the trap cards you've placed in face down position. Exactly. Am I Yu-Gi-Oh incorrectly? I don't <laughs> think that I am. But I also really, really like this challenge. Um, and Matt, you just mentioned one of your decks there. So let's get to that main topic that we were uh, discussing earlier. Let's get back into it when we're talking about some personal examples. Like we discussed some, you know, broad categories of some cards like, oh, we're not really playing these types of tutors we've fallen out of or extra turns is something that we've kind of accidentally avoided or cards that were really general. But now let's talk about some stuff in our own decks that we've avoided maybe on accident and more likely on purpose. When we compare our own decks to the data for the most popular cards for our commanders that we find on EDHREC, there are inevitably some differences and it's kind of fun to dig into that. Dana, let's start with you. What's a deck that you've got that when you compare it to the big data that is on EDHREC, you see some differences and there are some reasons that you're not playing some of those really high synergy or really popular cards. Um, so the the one that jumps out at me right away is Mind Slaver in my Glyphs of the Trader deck. That's kind of the go-to win con in that deck. Um, so Mind Slaver is an artifact that you can sacrifice to take control of somebody else. And what you do then is just make sure as you're destroying their board state in hand when you have control of them, is you throw one of their creatures into Glissa, um, who will survive because she has First Strike and Death Touch, which will bring that Mind Slaver back to your hand that you can then reuse and, and on the next turn and do the same thing again. So it's pretty easy to get a lock with Mind Slaver in a Glissa deck. Um, it's also super annoying. And, and it's, <laughs> and number one, it's super impossible basically on webcam. So the last, oh, there's that. the last year would have made it not playable at all. But just in general, it's not what I want to be doing. I, I, I don't want to do a bunch of things that it does. I don't want to lock somebody out of the game and make it unable to play. I don't want to have to go sit in their seat and like hold their cards and dig through <laughs> what they're doing. I just don't want to have to impose myself in someone's space like that either. Um, and I, I, it's not a particularly original win condition. So like, there's just a bunch of reasons not to to run it. Any of any one of which would be enough. And when taken combined, it's just not a card I have any interest in playing. See, Dana, I don't know what's worse: not being able to play or somebody else playing for me. Sure, uh, right. <laughs> and that just gives me the shivers. I I also don't play Mind Sleeper for those exact reasons. Makes absolute sense. Yeah, I, I can see that. Like, uh, that is a powerful card. Like, if you're putting that mm -hmm. into a Glissa deck, you've absolutely found an amazing synergy there. But I can also totally see why that's something that you've, like, eh, lost interest in. It's just like, that's not really the kind of thing that I'm after. And I'm, it's really cool to hear about that. Matt, let's move to an example from you now. What's a card that's really popular in one of the decks that you play that you just tend to avoid? Uh, well, one type of category in general that we kind of touched on a little bit that I just stay away from are our stacks type of effects. Um, Benny Smith and I, we, we had a really good uh, conversation one time about our Taysa Karlov decks. Uh, I don't play Grave Pact or Dictative Erebos types of effects. Um, I just don't particularly enjoy uh, the impact they have on games. Uh, I, I don't like people kind of being buried under this um, kind of a, a oppressive weight of, well, are you going to play a creature? It doesn't matter because I'm just going to get rid of it anyways. Um, those types of cards that kind of keep people from playing the game, I don't really like to play. And, and those two specifically, um, they show up in a lot of Taste of Karlov decks. They are extremely powerful. Um, this isn't a, a power challenge. This is just a um, the, the types of games that I desire. I don't want to stop people from playing 
just in general. Um, I'd rather people have a chance to, to play their games. And so I've taken out those grave packed effects. Um, I just, I don't particularly enjoy the, the board state that they, they create, um, because it can be rather oppressive for a lot of different deck strategies to get out from under that. See, Matt, I just think yeah, you can, you can find a reclamation sage. You'll be fine. No. I, I mean, I can. Um, will other <laughs> players be able to? No. Uh, the answer is hard pass. Yeah, no, that actually, so peek behind the curtain on my Marin deck, because Grave Pact is a really popular one in that uh, as well. That's actually a card that I've been kind of like, you know, I don't really like playing this uh, against my family's meta, where my family has some stuff like Voltron Commanders, like a Dragonlord Ojutai, for example. Well, that's generally the only thing. And I'm just like, you know what? It's, it's not as much fun when that is repeatedly getting sacrificed. So like, yeah, this is the kind of thing that I've also eventually drifted away from just because of the places where I am playing that deck. I still think yeah. the synergy is off the charts, especially in a Tesa Karlov deck. Like that's amazing. And I'm not going to begrudge a single person who's playing that, but I totally see why mm -hmm. that's the kind of thing that you'd want to be conscious of uh, against the people that you're playing of uh, playing against where it's like, ah, you know, I can defeat you without this stuff. I, I don't necessarily need this form of removal. Let's let's see what you got, and I'm still going to beat you. Well, and kind of like what Dana touched on earlier, the, the type of feeling I get playing against the cards, I don't like people feeling that towards me because I do the same thing back to them. Um, playing my Valduk deck, uh, I had a friend play Dictate of Erebos against me, and I there's literally nothing I can do being in mono red against this black enchantment that keeps me from playing creatures. Um, Having been on that side, I, I don't want to do that to other players, so I just I opt not to. Um, that's just a personal decision that I've made because um, it, it it can completely invalidate some strategies. Like you said, Voltron strategies in general struggle with that. Kind of shifting gears just a little bit, I'll bring up another example of some cards that I don't play, but this isn't so much for the... Um for the like, oh, it's locking someone else down necessarily. It is more of like a, a general strategy thing. Like it's also totally the case that there are strategical differences that you'll have with the common way that a deck is built. I think of my Rehan and Ishai deck, for example, which is a whole lot of fun for a bunch of plus one, plus one counters. But my personal deck disagrees a lot with the data that you find on the page for Rehan and Ishai because that page is full of really cool cards like Cathar's Crusade or Master Biomancer, which help put a bunch of plus one counters onto a bunch of your creatures. But the way that I've taken that deck is a completely different direction. I'm not going wide, basically, ever. I'm only ever going tall. I want one creature to stack up with tens upon hundreds, if I can help it, of plus one, plus one counters, and I'll just move them from one creature to another using my Rehan commander's ability. And that is a big departure from the data that you'll usually see for a plus one, plus one counter deck, where the plus one counters are going all over the place. And so that is a really big difference that I've noticed in my deck building, where the strategy that you see in the data is something that I've just decided to avoid entirely. Yeah, I've, I've had that experience too, Joey. Uh, my Miri deck, if you look at the, the page for Miri Weatherlight Duelist, you see a lot of cat tribal because of the pre-con effect that we talked about several times mm -hmm. um i am not doing any cat tribal um you won't catch me ever doing that um i will play a cat but it's it's more of a green white um end of the battlefield type of synergies there so yeah i i totally get the there's a strategy on the page but i'm not really going that direction with the deck well um you know i, I mentioned mind slaver in my glissa deck as strong as mind slaver is um it's not the kind of card that like is always the the obvious tutor target or the obvious win condition because you do generally need to be in a certain position in the game to make Mindslaver work as a lock. Um, conversely, in my Veil of the Nightclad deck, um, right replication is just mm -hmm. almost always the right call. 
Um, <clears throat> when you kick Rider Replication in that deck and it makes five copies of Vela, then six Velas will see five Velas leave the battlefield because of the Legend Trigger, and it just deals 30 damage to everybody. There's almost no situation where when that's in my hand, it's not worth casting. And even though I don't, don't run many tutors anymore, there's very few situations it wasn't the right tutor target either, because it was just a card that if I had the mana and had it in hand, I probably won the game. And therefore, I just stopped running it in the deck because it became the kind of thing that very easily everything revolved around doing just that one thing. That is a really nasty synergy. I remember that being one of the like go-to examples of how crazy Commander could be Like when I was first learning how to play the format. It was just like, Vela can do what? Like That is a classic, uh, not an infinite combo, obviously, but it is a mm -hmm. combination of cards that I just totally remember being like a kind of one of those staple things about playing Commander generally. And it's so funny to hear that it's specifically a thing that you've kind of, like, ah, that's not really what I want. I'm after something totally different. And I just... I don't know. It feels like a weird evolutionary step in my understanding of Commander, if that makes sense. Sure. Yeah. And, and again, it's also one of those cards that if you're playing blue, it's probably always a good card, too. Even if you're not playing Vela, on um, Replication is pretty great. It's going to get you the best one copy, the best thing for, for four men early on and get you all the copies of the best thing later in the game when you have enough to cast it, too. So uh, it also does double duty as being one of those cards that if you're playing blue, it, it's generally worth putting into your deck anyway. Can, can confirm. Do you know what happens when someone else has a Grey Merchant of Asphodel and I use a Rite of Replication on it? No. <laughs> a lot of fun things. That's what happens. It's delightful. That's that's a word, delightful, you could use. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Well, and Dana, I kind of have a card, too, that, that follows into the same category of, like, if I put this into the deck, I, I see it on the list. Um, it would almost warp the deck around what that card tries to do. Um, I mentioned earlier food chain. I have one. Um, it's not in my Ukeem and Kazer deck though. Um, mm. The food chain combo, uh, Miss Hollow Griffin, um, and there's an Eldrazi that came out a while ago too. Um, there's a legacy combo deck that revolves around food chain. Um, Prosh decks are also very well known for doing this. They basically sacrifice creatures. They recast them and they make infinite mana. Um, there's all sorts of just crazy things to do in Ukeem and Kazer. Um, well, Kazer um, doesn't really do much, but it gives you access to food chain so that you can make infinite mana and then recast uh, your, your Kima and get all those enter the battlefield and leave the battlefield triggers. Um, I just don't have that in there. Um, I would rather cast a Berserk on my Ukima and then Teferi's Time Twist and flicker Ukima and, and win that way. Do some silly things, um, equally powerful, but just comboing out and kind of doing the, okay, well, I have my food chain and now I just win. Um, those types of wins, like, is it right to include that? Probably. Um, but it's just not as satisfying for me. Like, if you watch twitch.tv slash EDHRECcast, um, you'll you'll see all the just the different ways that I'm I'm finding to and yes, it really is me finding ways to do to do crazy things with Ukima. It's it's a lot of fun, but I know food changes is one of those things that it's it's extremely linear, and that's not the type of game I want. So not even just is it like really fun for you to find those Teferi time twist on the Yokima to get the damage leaves the battlefield trigger like that's fun to play against too like I'm remembering those games where you have found a way at instant speed to flicker Ukima in response to someone trying to dome you for a bunch of damage or whatever and instead you domed them right back like those stand out in my mind those were fun to play against because of how 
unexpected all of it was. Like, that is also a huge thing. It's not even just, like, a, a personal thing on your end. It's also that, like, your opponents were delighted by it, too. And that is such a good feeling. Yeah, and, and those are the types of experiences that, like, I like people leaving from games with me. Um, it's not because I went out there and, like, I did my thing and crushed everybody, but um, I discovered something, too, and so everybody else got to learn. And it, it's just... Those are the types of experiences like I really just love having. So I'm going to move to another example here, which is one that we did kind of touch on earlier. And Matt, I think this is another example that will resonate with you. But Laboratory Maniac and Thassa's Oracle are going to be really, really good in a deck that draws a bazillions, a bazillions, a bazillions of, of cards. And my Elegith deck turns out to be one of those types of commanders who can draw bazillions of cards because whenever you scry, you'll draw a bunch of cards instead. So you play one Ugin's Insight and you'll scry six, but then you'll draw six instead and then you also draw three additional cards. Like, it's absolutely fun. And so... A Laboratory Maniac type of win in that deck would probably be a really like efficient way to get the job done once I've drawn all those cards, but it's just not, that's not what I'm after. I, I don't really want to do that. What I want to do instead is punch someone with my brain. So I use cards like Imperial Plate after I've drawn a bunch of those cards to buff up my commander for each card that's still in my hand, because those are just a lot more engaging and has, has just a, a bigger, a, a big fun Timmy sort of vibe to it that I just seem to prefer a whole lot more whenever I'm playing that deck. And given the live man example, Matt, I'm sure that that's an example for your Riel deck too. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. I both of those cards are showing up on Real the Everwise, um, forty plus percent. Like it's a very, very common include for both Thassa's Oracle and Laboratory Maniac. Uh, I am playing neither of those. I would rather uh, really drill down on like the draw card triggers. Um, so I have stuff like the Locust God, and I have um, cards that reward me for whenever I draw a card. It does something like hitting all my opponents for one. Um, the Insta Win cards, those just they're not my bag, um, so I tend to avoid them. So Dana, how about you? Any other examples come to mind, especially of those like insta-win kind of combos that maybe you avoid? Or For sure. So I, I have a Vito Thorn of the Dusk Rose deck that's kind of a big black mana deck, makes a you know ton of mana, very easy to dump that into an Exsanguinate um, or a Torment of Hailfire, which we talked about before. But again, mm-hmm. that, that winds up not being a very satisfying win, even if it is a really effective way to close out a game. It just doesn't do anything for me, so I don't run either of those cards because... It just isn't satisfying, like Matt mentioned. Similarly, Exquisite Blood um, combos with Veto in the command zone. Um, so whenever my opponent, whenever I gain life, my opponent loses life, and I will I will then gain more life and make them lose more life. Um, so I just don't run it. It's a really easy way to win the game, again, in that, that kind of deck. Um, but I am not going to personally take any enjoyment from winning a game because I top back a card that comboed with my commander. It's just not how I want to close one out. So I just don't play it for that reason. That too right there, the classic Sanguine Bond and Exquisite Blood combo, that's such an interesting choice here too. Because like, throughout this entire episode we've been talking about cards that we've like maybe grown bored of or that we're purposefully not using and we want to measure how it affects not only our own enjoyment but our opponent's enjoyment but like i also do kind of remember discovering those types of combos in the first place you know like the first time that i found out about the things that exquisite blood and sanguine bond could do that was really exciting and so that is i think also kind of a a fundamental piece of this whole experience maybe is that these are kind of worth trying 
Does that make sense? Like, it's fun to actually be able to make those happen, even if over time you might find yourself growing out of them. I feel like that is kind of a, a core component of this. I'm never going to begrudge anyone who's playing one of those combos, especially if they've just discovered one of those cool combos, because they are, in fact, really cool. And there's a really good reason. The synergy is right there. So, like, if you're playing it in the deck, I totally get it. But I also, like kind of feel like this is one of those it, it becomes a, a step towards a, a different type of play experience and by actually trying out all of those things that's how you manage to find the type of commander experience that you're really after by sampling all of those different strategies and those different types of combinations yeah i mean that was definitely a common thread among the things i talked about like i, I mentioned primal surge um i definitely cast primal surge a few times before i got bored with it or um uh, in Torment of Hailfire, for example, that we talked about. Yeah, I, I ran Torment in a, in a couple decks in, in Casta for a month or so before I no longer wanted to do so. So yeah, I mean, just because you didn't hit that point where I did, where you didn't want to do it anymore, doesn't mean you're wrong. I'm, we're just talking about how we personally feel with those cards. And if you never hit that wall, then that's that's fine too. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head there, Dana. Like, we had those experiences and that's how we came to our own conclusions. Um, if you had those experiences and came to a different conclusion, then like, great. That's There's plenty of space in the format for people to play different play styles, to play different types of decks. Whatever you're looking to do in Commander, like the format is big enough for you to have those experiences and, and get whatever you want out of it. Like this is just us kind of gleaning some of our personal experiences and how that reflects in our decks. If, if your decks look different, great. That's why the cards are there for people to be playing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes it so much fun is for the decks to, in fact, be different. Like the way that you might build a veto deck is going to look different than the way that I might build a veto deck is different than the way that Matt might build a veto deck. Let's be real. Matt's never actually going to build a veto that, deck. That <laughs> is absolutely true. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, like it's just, I think it's kind of a, a a cool thing to have gone through these. And I would also love to know from the listeners which cards maybe they don't play and whether those are on purpose decisions or things that they found themselves slowly drifting out of or into over time. But I guess also at the end of the day, it's just important to remember that we got to where we're at because we are old men who played with these <laughs> things. And so that's where Dana got where he's at. It's because he's got years and years of experience telling Exsanguinate to get off of his lawn. You are not wrong. <laughs> all right guys well this was a whole bunch of fun to talk through all of those cards that we're not playing and why and again listeners we would love to hear from you about your thoughts on the subject but for now what i think we're going to be doing is calling this episode to a close so fellas if our listeners would like to get in touch with us where is it that they can find you all matt so you can find me on the Twitters at Mathemus55, that's M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. And don't forget, twitch.tv slash EDHRecCast, you may have heard. Um, we are streaming Wednesday evenings, playing all sorts of fun games. So make sure you tune in, because um, the guests are great, the games are pretty good too, and uh, it's always a fun time. And Dana. You can hear me um, on my other podcast, CMDR Central, every Monday morning. I write articles for EDH Rec and for Commander's Herald. And you can find all of us together at patreon.com slash EDHRec. Podcast. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter, or you can find the cast at EDHRecCast on both Facebook and on Twitter. And if you've got a question for us, you can email us at EDHRecCast at gmail.com. Our thanks go out once again to the whole team at the Command Zone Podcast for handling the post-production work on our show. And of course, we want to thank our sponsors. Once again, they are TCG Player and CardKingdom.com and Altersleeves.com. You can find them using the price info links on EDHREC or visit CardKingdom.com slash EDHREC to show your support for the show. Listeners, we'll be back at you next week with more data and insights. But until then, remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck.
Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.